Become spellweavers, reavers, rogues, and men-at-arms, and answer the call of adventure. Pick up your sword, your axe, your spellbook, your bow, your rulebook, and your dice, and join the forces of good in their eternal fight against vile monsters, conspiring min-maxers, horny bards, and blood-soaked murder hobos. Discover the treasure trove of role-playing games here on Rollin' Bones. My name is Ryan Howard, and I shall be your guide. Good evening, Boneheads, and welcome back to Rollin' Bones with Ryan Howard, where we make old school young again. I'm your host and king of the Boneheads, Ryan Howard, and uh, I'm very excited about this evening. Ladies and gentlemen, we have the most dangerous man in the RPG world on here tonight with us. That is the one, the only godfather of the bro SR, Jeffro Johnson. Uh, I am so excited about this uh, conversation, so I'm going to keep this short and sweet here. I want to remind everyone to like, share, and subscribe if you enjoy the kind of content that we have here on Rolling Bones on a regular basis. Also want to remind everyone that uh, you can find me on these uh, various social media that are now scrolling across the bottom on Twitter and Instagram. I am at Howard underscore Ryan Gregg. YouTube is Rolling Bones. Twitch is twitch.tv slash Rolling Bones Ryan. And Substack is rollingbones.substack.com. Take a breath. All right. Speaking of Substack, go ahead and show everyone what we've got going on right there. Uh, well, I was going to, and then I hit the wrong button. Anyway, there we go. Substack. Uh, right now, I have a, a article up on the Christian role player. Uh, this one actually made more people mad than I thought it would. So, uh, if that sounds intriguing to you, uh, maybe check that out. You know, maybe you'll get mad, or uh, maybe you will uh, enjoy what I have to say and uh, you know have some constructive uh, criticism for me or some feedback. Uh, also, you can find that link there in chat. Uh, gelatinous rube i did not know that you were gonna try and stream tonight but you know tuesdays is rolling bones night so you know just just putting that out there anyway oh uh, you can also find my t-shirts on t public that is uh, the bonehead emporium over here i will share the link in just a second uh you can find all of my various um T-shirt designs over here on T Public, including the uh, gaming and grilling shirt, the bonehead shirt, and the Rolling Bones logo shirt. And uh, yeah, that's it for my shilling. So uh, let's go ahead and bring on the uh, the man of the hour, the man with the power, the man who is too sweet to be sour. Uh, he is the godfather of the Bro SR. He is the author of How to Win at D and D. Uh, he is the one, the only, the Bro SR's finest, Jeffro Johnson. Jeffra, welcome to Rolling Bones. Hey, thank you. Thank you for having me. Really excited to be here. I was so excited that I wrote interview questions for you. <laughs> you want to reverse this? You, do you want to interview me? Yeah, well, I mean, everybody complains about my extemporaneous speaking, so I figured, you know, we got to turn this on its head. Okay, yeah. All right, so I got, a, I got the question. I've got it right here. Okay. Number one, number one, 
who is the most important person in D&D history after Dave Arneson and Gary Gygax? The most important person in D&D history after Dave Arneson and Gary Gygax. Yeah, absolutely. Hmm. Hmm. Well, there's an argument uh, to be made for Zeb Cook. There's an argument to be made for Tim Kask. Um, perhaps, though, the answer that, that we're looking for here tonight, uh, would, would that be you, Mr. Yeah. Jeffrey Johnson? <laughs> I can't believe you got it. Why, why, would you, why would you put me forward like this? I'm, gosh, I'm a, I'm a little embarrassed all of a sudden, man. What's, what's the reason? The reason? Yeah. Well, uh, quite frankly, you are one of the kind of leading voices of actually looking at what Arneson and Gygax originally intended for this whole role-playing lurk that we all enjoy. And it seems like right around seems like you put the time at 1980 things went off the rails that early so yeah aside, yeah. aside from Ar Gar Gygax and Arneson you've kind of gone back to this uh way that the game was really written to be played if if you can't play the game that they designed without me explaining to you how it works first then I'm number three I'm number three on the list yeah and and for 40 years every person that thinks they're smarter and better looking better at dnd better dungeon masters better everything it's been here the whole time in the rule books and and i'm maybe maybe they knew maybe they knew but if they knew they didn't write anything that would give an indication that they understood these things. Mm -hmm. And that's a really, that's a really strange thing. It's a really strange thing. Oh, oh, I, but I got another one. I got, I got another one. All right. I got question number two. I, I right. almost started extemporaneous speaking and, and you could tell it was going off. The, you tell it, you could tell it was terrible. So we'll just get right back on track here. What is the difference between a social dance with eight people and a social dance with 50 people? A social dance with 50 people has more options for interaction. There are more combinations of people that can dance, and therefore uh, every single one of those 50 people has more opportunity for a different experience throughout the entire event. Wow. Man, you're good. You're good. I would have like spent 20 minutes on that one. <laughs> Man, that's a great, that's a great, uh, I think that's a great illustration for why the curator's game, which is going on right now, which started, which, which is this amazing thing. It started with 50 people. Started. Um like imagine walking into that, man, if they had three referees, right? If they mm -hmm. had, let's say they had three, I don't think they have more, but like, let's say they had three referees and they had three different sessions, one on a different night of the week run by a different person. 
and they're all kind of coordinating and um man you would you would be able to join that campaign at a place that would suit your schedule you'd have like a better chance of being able to join um and and whoa and if let's say you didn't really care for one of those referees you know um you could try like the other referees and, and if you liked that group better or maybe that group of players, you know, well, that, that's just going to be a better, better deal for you. Mm-hmm. And, and let's say you couldn't uh, play at all. You, you couldn't make any of those sessions, but there's like 10 guys. I don't know. I don't know how many uh, the curator has, but let's say there was 10 patron players who uh, don't play in the sessions at all per se. And uh, you were going to play like maybe at the war game tier with some of those guys just, uh, you know, via Twitter or Discord chats or whatever. Um, man, it sounds like that is just a really power. I mean, if, if they can hold this together, if they can keep this going, it sounds like they just have a really game changing, powerful uh, array, like a, just a, a menu of things. Uh, if you couldn't find a way that you could fit in that campaign, if you couldn't find a way that you would enjoy it, I mean, man, that's a lot of gaming on the table for you to not be satisfied with. Um, yeah, absolutely. Right. And and it also solves this problem that seems to be consistent. I've even had it in my gaming career of if three people can't make it one evening, you're not down 50% of your party if you have 50 players. No, no, no. And, and of course, um, you know, uh, you know, going back to the dance, you know, like you, 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 you make the dance work with whoever shows up. I've, I've never been to a dance where they were like, Oh, you know, never mind. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> you know, there's, there's, uh, more, more, there's more girls than guys. I guess we got to call it off. You know, you just, man, you, you just, you just, boy, the, the guys just have to like dance more. That's all there is to it. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, um, all right. Here's my last question. Mm-hmm. Um, what happens if you choose to use one-to-one time and Bronstein play with just a single small table of about four to five, four to eight players? What, what if you committed to it at that scale and then stuck with it? Well, if you committed to one-to-one Bronstein-style play at a scale of, you know, four to six players, at that point you would still, I mean, you'd have the same kind of time constraints where if you have to rest for seven days, it's seven days between sessions, so... There's seven real-time days there, and then the next week you pick back up, and it's been seven days in the campaign world. Um, really, it's it just kind of scales at the same level, at least as far as I can tell. Um, it's, it's just, a again, it's just a matter of how many people you have, and that's kind of the beauty of this whole system is that it works no matter how many players you have. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, the most uh, common reason not to use the stuff that I hear today uh, over the past two two months or so is, um, oh, that stuff's only 
for the really big games like like the curators like like Greyhawk like like Blackmore mm-hmm. um wow wouldn't it be great wouldn't that be really great to be in that company where oh man you know Gary Gygax Dave Arneson the curator you know the great dungeon masters of all time look <laughs> that wouldn't you like to be in that company? What do you got to yeah. do to be in that company? What do you got to do? Uh, you got to do the same thing yeah. that the that Gary and Dave did, right? Mm-hmm. But uh, but no, um, I get I, I get this uh, this question from a lot of people, like uh, or 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 you know the excuse. I mean, it's it's like people with the gym too. You have, you, you ask them why they don't go to the gym, you know, and. And you hear all these creative reasons why you don't get to, um, but, um, but yeah, but no, let's say you only had four friends or, or six or eight and, and you're running, uh, with Bronstein play and one-to-one time and mass combat. And you're experimenting with all these things. Um, uh, we, we did that in, in Trilopolis for a year, just, just with the one-to-one time, um, and um, I, I don't think it's fair to say that it's only only for the big games because we had we had results immediately when we were playing by the AD and D rules. Just those things uh, we saw. Um, uh, there, there's mostly the effect is there's a lot of things you can't do if right. you play that way. Yeah, um, and that is. Uh, hooking into the, uh, the the title that you picked for the show, you can't do conventional role-playing stuff if you're running one-to-one time. Mm-hmm. You, you can't. So it right. forces you to learn to play the game in a different way. You're using all the same rules that everybody else has, but you're forced to play it in a different way. And uh, I, I don't know. I think it makes you uh, it makes you more open to improvisation. Mm-hmm. Uh, it makes you more open to uh, playing with the things that the players bring to the table. Uh, it forces you to let go of every single bad habit that makes conventional play boring. Um, it forces you. Well, it um, it it makes the players better better players it makes the uh, referees better referees it it causes you to it puts you in situations where you need more of the rule book mm-hmm. than conventional players need uh, yeah. one thing one thing i found in trilopolis one year 30 sessions one to one time we uh we used more and more and more of the rules the players, for instance, will play uh, several different classes um, mm. and switch between them. And they'll get good at the different classes. And then um, uh, things things really took off when we went to the Bronstein level. Uh, when uh, In July of 2021, when we had uh, 10 active factions, uh, 12 active factions or name level characters at once, uh, you, you know, the things just kept happening where I needed different parts of the rule book. You know, when, when Brian Renninger took over as DM, you know, we're, we're, he's running stuff. He's got to go. He's, he needs those siege rules out of the DMG stuff. You look at and you're like, when did anybody ever use this? 
you know, when your campaign is built on the same structures that Gary Gygax and Dave Arneson did, you need the same tools that they did. And, yeah. and you also things that every single role player looks at AD and D and OD and D and says, how can you play that? It doesn't have blank. Well, they didn't need blank because they were playing a different type of game than what you were. Right. Um, so one, one last, uh, one last analogy. Uh, this is my this is my answer to all the people who are who are too weak to play a bro game. People who look at the curator and think, "No, I'll never be that great. I, I could never I could never have that many friends. My breath is bad. I I, I only bench press press eighty five. <laughs> I, I I don't uh, I don't know how to dance." You know, uh, I only have four friends because nobody else will hang out with me. You know, if, if you're that kind of person and you and you look at you look at uh, the bros, the people excited about bro games, people excited about the curators game. Um, uh, we we got to we have a method to improve you. Uh, it, it's it's similar to me. I, I struggled with pull ups for a long. It was terrible. I'm a, I was a rock climber and I, I was terrible at pull ups. Um, but I kept getting all this bad advice about how to fix them. Um, uh, some people told me, Oh, just, just do more climbing. You'll, you'll just get stronger. Uh, I climbed, I climbed like crazy and I, I didn't get better at pull-ups. Some people said, Oh, well you should do negative pull-ups. That's the same thing. You do a lot of negative pull-ups. Boom. It'll happen. Trust me. You know, um, uh, other people who were more into bodybuilding, they said, oh, the lat pull down is the same thing. Just do a lot of lat pull downs. You know, you'll walk in, you'll be uh, PRing on pull ups. You'll just trust me, you know. And, and then there's that weird assisted pull up machine. I don't know if you've seen that. I, mm-hmm. I, they're, they're really, you, well, you, you think, oh, I'll just do the assist and I'll just work my way up where I'm using less and less weight. You know what? That didn't work either, you know. And you, you have to have results. Uh, soon right. enough, you have to see the improvement. And this is the way I am psychologically, you know, like if mm-hmm. I'm, if I'm taking a training course um, and I'm investing a lot of time in it, hours a week and I don't see any improvement after two or three months, then, you know, it's like in traveler where you have to make your per- perseverance role with your, with your personal training. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm not going to make that role. I'm going to get distracted and go do something else that does more for me. Um, so the answer for me, uh, it turned out to be these uh, uh, some rows. Uh, there was a guy on YouTube. I can't remember his name. He said, "Oh no, just do these rows." Uh, some of them were at a forty-five degree angle. He says, "Like do do uh, do do these until you can get to thirty reps." And you know, you start and you're like, "Oh man, I can only do like fifteen reps." But you know, every time you go in the gym, you're going up on reps and. Mm-hmm. Boom! After a few weeks, man, I'm you know I went up to thirty reps with those you know forty-five degree angle body rows and and then uh, what what's next what's the next exercise you know oh the next one it's uh it's you know you start sitting and you pull yourself up you're so you're you're um and uh same thing start you know at first i'm only doing 15 but you know before long i've worked up to like 25 reps three sets of 25 reps well let's go check in on how those uh those pull-ups are doing now and then you know pretty quickly boom 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 pr 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 like I'm on my way, you know, whatever yep. it was that was holding me back was gone. So bringing the analogy back, what is the thing that will make you a better role player? Even if you aren't at the curator's level yet, 
You know what I mean? Even if you don't have a lot of friends yet, even if you're not sure about yourself, one-to-one time with Braunstein play and some of these uh, mass combat stuff that the bros kick around, if you're doing any of that, if you're doing any of that consistently, again, it's going to make you a better ref and it's going to create a kind of game where the players have to have a lot more initiative when they have to be better players in order to make your game work. And then you get to the point where you're just sort of like synthesizing all the stuff that they're bringing to the table to make. And, and it just goes, it just goes without you. It's not running on your creativity. It's not running on your ideas. It's running on you building up these various interactions between the players whether it's in the game, out of the game, in session, crossing tables, whatever. If you're dealing with that and you're keeping up with it, you're getting stronger week to week. And, you know, you know, maybe after a year of that, you might you might be ready to take on a project like what the curator just did. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. It, and this is something I've kind of had to come to terms with myself. Uh, I have a campaign that will be starting in a couple weeks. Um, and I was really down on myself when, when Ryan uh, started up that campaign. Cause I immediately thought, how am I going to pull 50 people together? You know, I got to do something like that. Um, I've got eight people right now that are, that are committed to my campaign. And, and what we'll be doing is we're going to be starting with eight people using, like you said, one-to-one time, Bronstein style play and then working up to mass combat because we're starting at first level. So that's going to be my starting point. And maybe I can build up to that 50 person campaign with multiple referees. I, I have imposed the additional problem on myself of, I only like to game in person. Um, but maybe I can work up to that myself. And so, you know, that honestly, like that, that's, Jeffro's right here, and I, you're probably going to hear a lot of that tonight. But yeah, Jeff Jeffro's spot on right here. Well, look, you know, what whatever campaign you've got going, if if you're using one to one time uh, to run it, and even uh, I don't like to tell people this, but it it also doesn't even really matter what system you're using as well. Mm-hmm. Um, but um, if you're rolling, if you've got a campaign going. Um, and, and, and these, these approaches to the game and the, this, uh, this way of viewing the game and way of running the game is, is on track. You, you can be terrible at it. And all you got to do is just be getting better week to week, really. Yeah. Um, if you're still going by October when, when Brovenloft happens again, I'm, I'm almost positive you're, you're not going to be able to prevent it from being happening. Um, but, um, you know, if you're not at the uh, 50 person level, I don't know how big it's going to be this October, but I'm, I'm pretty sure it's it's going to be at least 100 people involved with it next time. I, I, nice. I wouldn't be surprised at all. Mm-hmm. Um, so, uh, uh, you know, it, it, you know, you can be objectively friendly uh, by opening yeah. uh, opening your campaign up for just a brief period of insanity. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. And to get, to get to some of the chats here, um, Crossface, curator on the Mount Rushmore with Gygax and Arneson. Uh, Mr. Heffelfinger, you've come a long way. I will put it at 
put it that way. Um, and then from the curator himself, um, he's seen a lot of what you were describing and that it's stretching his DM skills and he's having to read more of the rules, having to get more involved with the game itself, which is definitely uh, a, a thing that that people have to start doing again and have to not be as afraid of. You, you do have to actually read the rules to to do this correctly. Yeah, and, and I want to jump in on this one. I, I there, there's you know there's been a huge shift towards the Bro SR over the past six months, um, mm-hmm. and uh, you're you're a, a, one of the reasons why it's happened. Crossface is another reason why that's happened. But but um, uh, you know there's there's a a lot of people that uh, kind of want to water it down a little bit though. Um, mm-hmm. When 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 we played Trilopolis in 2020, if there were rules that we knew were there, uh, and and we we knew we didn't understand them, every time we stopped the game, worked through them, and then continued. Yep. Every time, uh, a lot of people want to just um, just uh, they, they say that they will. Oh no, we're going to make a ruling and then we're going to go back later and then we'll fix it. We'll, we'll we'll read the rules between the weeks. Okay, that's it's never going to happen. Um, you know, getting the rules right in your D and D game is the same thing as getting your form right in the gym. Yeah. If your form is wrong, you're wasting your time. Mm-hmm or you're going to have suboptimal results, or you may even injure yourself. So play the game. Like if you've agreed to play the game, play the game. Don't stop these half measures. Yeah, absolutely. And then uh, crafty Matt here has a great example of scale with this. He's using one-to-one time and that style of play with a one player campaign with his daughter. And he's got 10 plus characters out in the world doing various tasks, training, travel, etc. Yeah. And it, and it is weird. Uh, um, you know, once you set up the fantasy world like this and it runs in one to one time and you're asking yourself every time any character is invoked or any place is invoked, you think about the whole thing at once with the time factor. Um, like the easiest case is if you run into some orcs and the players lose and they go back to town, you know, the orcs are going to be thinking about well, what are we going to do when those, when those guys come back. Right. Right. Um, it, you know, Gary Gygax takes two entire pages of the, of the dungeon master guide to break down how this type of thinking works. But no, when you do that subtly, when your players are reflexively do it, when everybody that's touching the game when your daughter does it with each individual character that is moving about independently in this game world in time, you, that's a, first off, that's a four dimensional, that's a multi-dimensional creation, sub creation that you have there. Hmm. Um, uh, the, the kind of conversations that you have about it are different. The kind of things that your imagination does when it engages with it is different. And it's uh, it it forces you. Um, well, the the static approach, the conventional approach of doing it, is is it's bad fan fiction. It's it's right. not only it's it's like the 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 Venn diagram overlap between bad 
fan fiction and and non-game design. Mm-hmm. It, it's 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 good for neither. It's not good game design and it's not good fiction. Um, but when you think of your campaign this way, everything about it is great for game. You have all these hooks all over it where something interesting can happen. Mm-hmm. And you also have all these threads that can coalesce in surprising ways. And scenarios uh, emerge. I, I, I hope other people have this experience. For me, I don't have to think what the scenario is because it's always obvious what it is and sort of, uh, and sort of, uh, uh, you, you, your, 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 your mind is designed to see patterns and the chaos that is generated by all these things happening at once. Uh, and, and you know what an adventure is and you know what a, what, what a chainmail battle looks like. And you, and you, and you have, I, I hope by now that you have a lot of great examples from Appendix N literature kind of in your back pocket to help you uh, apply these rules and create situations that suit what the game is trying to model. Yeah. Uh, but like when, when you, um, when you do this, yeah, it, it it's, um, it, it's a thing that is, that exists independent of anyone involved with it. And it, it's not, uh, Oh, we need the slide. We need the yes, slide. We do. Which um, one would you like me to pull up here? Uh, the one with the superior alloy quote. Okay. Let's see. Oh, yep. Here we go. And we're going to, we're just, this is a great, great moment to say, why is conventional play conventional? Why is it so flat? Why is it so prone to failure? Well, let's see. What kind of game was was Gary Gygax talking about when he put AD&D together? He says, in the heat of play, your campaign will slowly evolve into a compound of your personality and those of your better participants, a superior alloy. This this conception of D&D is not... It's, it's a social technology in the way that social dancing is a social technology. Uh, you, you, can, you can see here, um, it, it's, a, it's a, you know, when, when, like Ryan was saying earlier, you know, I, I could go to a, you know, like, why, why would anyone speed date when social dancing is an option? You know, what are you going to do? Like speed dating is like a, it's like a job interview. It's like a series of like 10 job interviews, you know, like why would it, it's the least intriguing thing. There's no mystery to it. You know, it's, it's, it's so dorky. Uh, But no, you, if you go to a social dance where there's, there's, you can meet 25, 50 people in one night of the opposite sex. Mm -hmm. You, You can meet them all. You can immediately know which five you have the most chemistry with. And, and then, and then you could probably tell after the third dance, which ones of them find you fun to be with. Yeah. Uh, And, and, and you didn't have to look at a profile. Why anyone would delegate this, this kind of human interaction to a computer dating service is beyond me. You would have to be a complete slob mm-hmm. to think that computer dating 
in whatever form it's ever manifested itself over the past 10 or 20 years or whatever, you would have to be a complete slob to think that it is a good idea or that it's been good for anything. Right. <clears throat> but here, back to Gygax, let's talk about social <laughs> technology here. He, he, didn't he did not create a game that would be a great vehicle for putting out a bunch of Dragonlance modules and novels. Mm -hmm. uh, th this is not this is not a template for for creating a, a, an endless series of products right. or a product treadmill. You know, he's got no thought for the morrow. He's got this 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 great idea that worked really good in the Midwest at two different cities, and he's going to give you all the secrets. He's going to give it right here. He's he's going to do all the hard parts. So all you got to do is play it. And you're going to you're going to put this together with your friends and something's going to happen where the game is going to turn into. Uh, first, it'll be this fantasy world that sort of exists on its own and develops over time, but something about it. Will will be a reflection of the personalities of your friends. Mm hmm. And that's an amazing thing. Yeah. Uh, on this on this subject, uh, everybody everybody dogs on Trilopulus. They dog on the bro games. Uh, this is they're they're too silly. They're too dumb. They got all this ridiculous. They got wrestlers in it. They got wrestlers <laughs> and Twin Peaks and Muppets. There's no way. There's just no way. How could you be so serious? It's like. Well, no, no, we're not playing the Forgotten Realms box set. Nope. You know, we're also not we're also not playing this campaign in order to develop it in order to put it in a box and sell it to you. We're not doing that either. Mm -hmm. It's 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 you know, some people run one shots. You know, an adventure that's that's just one session that's just for this one group. We run a campaign that is for one group of people. Everything about it is optimized to be fun and interesting and engaging. For one group of people and there's right. there's one there's one problem with that there's one problem with that but it's actually not a problem at all uh you you're talking we, we're talking about when you're when you're the, the group of eight and how you scale up um uh you you've got you've got your campaign that you've developed with your friends and it's it's an alloy of your you and your friends's personality every joke that went into Trilopulus was funny to the group. Yeah. They stuck because the group thought it was a good idea. Every, every patron idea, you know, there's some patrons that, that, that uh, just withered away, mm -hmm. uh, didn't become a very influential part, you know, uh, but the better patrons, you know, really left a huge mark on the game world yeah. and so on and so on and so on. Um, I, you know, I, I had some adventure location ideas that were just terrible and thankfully we've forgotten them. We only remember the good parts now, but mm -hmm. no, you meet other people and you're like, man, I want to bring them into this campaign. But like this campaign is like, it's all the jokes that we think are funny. And so you bring, you bring people in you're describing the campaign world, you know, it, it you know, most of our sessions take, you know, we've gotten it down to 30 minutes because we've got one guy, uh, Brigadine, who's on point. He's a great caller. You know, he keeps people on task. He builds, he can tell when uh, the discussion to get consensus has sort of run its course and that a decision <laughs> needs to be made. Yeah. And he can do that without, uh, 
without ma making people feel embarrassed or anything. Yeah. But, uh, but no, sometimes we get people who are not like us that sit in with us and, uh, you know, they don't think our jokes are funny. Like we'll describe this part and that part of the campaign and, and they don't, they're not like us. They don't, they don't, they don't think the, uh, the camp, the campaign is just as funny as we think it is. And, and, and I'll, I'll tell you what this is. This is, this is, this is a great moment for you to make a decision that's good for this person and that's mm -hmm. good for your campaign. And that is, you need to not invite them back right yeah. then. If they don't think your jokes are funny, they're not going to like anything. They're not, they're not, they're not going, they're not going to be able to play with you. Right. Uh, and, and, and the reason that comes up uh, there, you know, they'll eventually they'll have to make up a reason. Um, and you don't want to get to that point. It, mm. You know, if, if they, if they can't, if they can't uh, laugh at your jokes and then after two or three sessions, make a joke, that's kind of in, on the same vibe as what your friends are doing. You got to let them go right then. It's not going to work. Mm -hmm. Right. Yeah. And it's, uh, you're getting at something really important that a lot of people have forgotten. And it's this idea that not everything is for everyone. And so when it comes to running your table and running, you know, the, the game that's best for your table when you want to add to that, you have to find the right like combination of people. You have to find the people who are going to enjoy what's already been established. And if those people don't like it and they want something different, then it's on them to go establish their own club with their own set of like-minded people. And I, it's no hard feelings. It's, you know, you're not saying that someone's stupid for not liking the things that you like or not liking the jokes that you like. It's just a matter of this is how we play at this table. And now you, if you don't want to play this way, you can go to your table and play the way that you want to. And, you know, bring in all the people who want to play that way. Yeah. It, we, have we got any, have we got anything good from the chat? Any, <laughs> any, anybody want to throw something in on this before we, before I digress on a uh, rabbit trail, uh, I don't know. I think we're on fire tonight. Yeah. There's, there's nothing. There's like nothing. You could stop it right here. And this is like a great show. <laughs> Bradford Walker actually brings up a good point here in chat. And this is something that I uh, actually wanted to talk to you about. Uh, so he says the hobby is meant to operate in club style environments. Clubs are not one size fits all. They have to discriminate to maintain social cohesion and this is one of the uh, this is one of the things I wanted to ask you about because when you watch something like Secrets of Blackmore, you see that the environment that role playing games are born out of is this role this uh, not role playing war gaming club environment, and war gaming was by its very nature more organized than RPGs have ever been. Do you think one of the reasons that this style of play kind of fell out of favor was that lack of organization to, uh, you know, the, the tables and the role players who picked up those initial volumes and started running the game? Do you, do you think that would contribute to this at all? 
Um, yeah, the the um, the trend uh, would be uh, uh, look at uh, look at the year two thousand. There was that book that came out called Bowling Alone. Mm -hmm. uh, uh, hard to wrap your head around. Like why? why <laughs> like what happened? Uh, in, in the eighties, you had microwave popcorn and, uh, and and a VCR and movie rentals. And uh, uh, at the time, social critics and commentators noted, well, there seems to be a, a great cocooning occurring. Yeah. Um, uh, meanwhile, the, uh, the salient point of something like the satanic panic was large number of parents were now, uh, first they were feeling guilty uh, that they got a divorce and had to put their children in daycare centers. Then they're hearing these rumors that very scary things are happening at daycare centers. Hmm. And now, now what to do? So, um, the, so the net trend, um, and then this will tie into another thing, uh, you know, like, uh, when, when you go and, and you witness, uh, an Amish barn raising, you know, I, I, I the, uh, and, and these things will just happen. Like if you watch them, you know, like, it's like, how, how is this, is this possibly happening? They, they swarm over this, like a, like a group of ants. And if somebody's barn burned down, right? Like they, they know, they know their tribe, they know their people mm -hmm. and like, Oh, well, this person needs a new barn. And boom, it's it's uh, it's it's magic. What what I want to tell you uh, to this this obviously very large, very disgusting, mostly illiterate, poorly dressed culture where no one knows how to part sing, and no one knows how to dance, and common courtesies are that that I would have taken for granted in the year 1980 are completely unheard of today. Mm -hmm. Social technology is more important than any other type of technology, full stop. The, uh, the AD&D game, the OD&D game is predicated on not just a person who had a heritage in a very broadly, more or less Christian culture, a Christian literature, uh, which, which I demonstrated in uh, Appendix N. It's mind-blowingly Christian. Mm -hmm. uh, but another aspect of this, uh, this, this, this people who are not very distant from us in time, but in you know, circa 1970, they had social capital, which has long since been spent. Right. And... And uh, the character qualities of the people who frequented these the, their houses—it's it, sort of like you know, uh, you know, going from from you know living in a town where you know you you leave the keys in the car, right? Yeah, because you can. Uh, the, these people had more people in their house than than. <laughs> than um, than anyone today would ever have, you know, regularly, multiple times a week, even. Yeah. Um, 
and uh, yeah, so the, the things that that uh, that they took for granted are things that in the in the nineteen eighties no one could take for granted anymore. Right. I, uh, yes, the tra- the change was that fast. The change was that violent. Uh, I'm I'm very much a product of it, and um, uh, and it's a real tragedy. Uh, there, you know, we 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 have role players talking about Chester Chesterton's fence every day this week, and yeah. and and the uh, consensus, I'd say, the reigning moderate position is is uh, oh uh, don't uh, don't tear down the fence until you know why it was there. Uh, when we live in a culture where all those fences, all of the fences got torn down sometime in the, the sixties and the seventies, and, and we're living with the consequences of that. And the consequences of that have made us so stupid, so post, uh, American, post-Christian, post-literate that it took 40 years for someone to sit down and read the dungeon master's guide and then explain to the other nincompoops that have been toying around with this stuff, how it was meant to work. Hmm. I'm very upset about this. I'm yeah, very upset that it, that it had to be me. I it actually, shouldn't, it shouldn't have, it shouldn't have been me. I'm, I'm not the smartest person uh, in the group. It, and it, it really shouldn't have been me. Hmm. I actually wrote an article about this, uh, talking about the commitment to role-playing. And one of the things that always struck me when I would watch, uh, sitcoms, especially sitcoms from kind of that Andy Griffith, leave it to Beaver era. It was completely normal for people to have poker nights or bridge clubs or book clubs or bowling night or some kind of social gathering with multiple people uh, that would happen every week where everyone would get together and you would all kind of bond around sharing this activity, but you also would socialize with each other. Nowadays, I don't know that anyone under 40 is a member of a book club. I don't know that any people my age, I'm I'm 27, people my age don't do things like that anymore. And so when you try to get a group together for regular role play, even a small group, people kind of balk at this idea of, wait, you're going to do this on a regular basis. You're going to actually expect me to set aside time to like come here and and socialize with everyone face to face. And I have to leave my house. And it's this, like you said, it's been a process. It's been a gradual process, whether or not this was intentional. uh, I will leave up to those of you out there to, to think about. Um, Every innovation, it seems, has been to further pull people apart from each other, to further atomize everyone so that in every single way you can possibly imagine you no longer have to interact with people anymore. You can buy clothing online. You can buy food online. You can, even if you have to go into the store, God forbid, you can interact with a kiosk instead of a cashier. Um for your entertainment, you can now stream any piece of entertainment. It doesn't matter if it's playing in a movie theater or not. You can you can just go ahead and get it straight on your TV, straight on your computer, straight on your phone if you want to. You can play video games. You have all this access to stuff that makes it so that 
in theory, you never have to leave your house at all, never have to interact with another person. And it's completely and totally antithetical to the way that human beings were created. And this is why so many people are now stumbling over these problems in the realm of role-playing games. Yeah. And when it, and it's, you, you, you can also see it in like Al Bundy doesn't exist anymore. Like right. if I go buy, if I'm buying shoes, there's nobody who's going to like get down on their knees and get that little weird board thing and measure it. And then be like, here, well, let me get, let me get three or four. How does, Oh, you're, they, they, no one has felt my toe in, in a pair of shoes I was buying in at least five years. I, I can't remember the last time some guy in the shoe store, like put his thumb on my foot and said, yeah. Okay. Yeah. I, I, yeah. This is the one get mm -hmm. these, you know? Um, yeah. Um, and, uh, uh, as far as the social, I, I think we, we see it on Twitter, the kind of extremely poor quality people uh, that exist in the scene, how na how just utterly nasty they are. Just, right. just uh, uh, no, and, 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 and nothing to show for it. They don't, they don't have any campaign reports. They don't have, they're just nasty. They're just mm -hmm. nasty. Anything that they could pick at, they will. Um, I can't, um, one, one of the reasons I'm involved with dance um, I'm, I'm very, I'm very much an extrovert. Uh, I, 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 you know, the, uh, the year 2020 nearly killed me. Uh, you know, I was, I was playing, I was playing D and D because it was the only thing available. Uh, it was, it was the only thing, the only social activity that I could, or, I could participate in or orchestrate or manage. Everything else was gone. Um, and, uh, I would I would say that you know around you know 2015, uh, uh, I would have seen uh, things in like in contra dancing. You know, you would have it would not have been uncommon to see uh, left wing and right pe ring people at the dance. They would know. <laughs> yeah, that person's sort of right wing. That person's sort of left wing. They could dance together. They could go out uh, and 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 go to the Denny's after the dance and be at the same table and. You know, they, they might not be sitting right next to each other, but, you know, it, it worked. That's not true anymore. That that stopped being true uh, some, sometime around 2018, 2019. It got less true every year. And, and then really 2020 absolutely wrecked everything. Uh, mm -hmm. so I'm, what I'm saying is one reason that dance is my preferred activity now is for one reason, it's only just now coming back yeah. <laughs> and uh, in places where it could come back at all. Uh, so you're, you're not getting your social institutions back. A great many of them are not coming back at all. So you're, you're <laughs> um, but the, uh, the next thing is I can dance with a whole lot of people and I never have to talk to them. If I am in social activities where talking is required, uh, we, we call it alignment languages. <laughs> uh, it always comes out, you know, uh, people are always testing the waters, testing each other to see if that you're, you're part of the same ideology. And, uh, if they, if they suspect that you're not, then you will be shunned. So, uh, so, so dancing has this great quality that I don't, don't have to, uh, uh, as long as the music's going and I'm in the room and we're and we're just having one dance and another, it's it's almost inappropriate to talk. So 
Um, mm. No one ever finds out that I'm uh, incognito, as it were. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And one thing I do want to say, um, I, I am not a dancer. Uh, I guess actually two things I want to say. I'm not a dancer, but one, I met my wife dancing. <laughs> there you go. I rest my case. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and and two, you mentioned contra dancing. This is one of the, like my favorite things that I just did on a whim one night. I found out there, I was living in Charlotte, North Carolina at the time. And I found out that there was weekly contra dancing in some church's basement somewhere yeah. in the middle of town. I've been there. <laughs> <laughs> and and I went to that dance and I was maybe 17 years old and that was a blast. That was an absolute blast. So anyone, if you find out that there's contra dancing in your area, uh, you should go because it's fun and they're actually pretty good about like instructing you if you've never been there before. So you'll pick it up fast. Yeah. And if you're a dork like me, then you can feel like you're in that one part of Assassin's Creed 2. So there, for those of you who, who like video games. Yeah, I, the, the dancing thing actually, like, it fascinates me. And when I first heard that you were into swing dancing, my, my initial thought was why. But then I started hearing you talk about it. And I understand it now because, like you said, there, there's this aspect of social skills that's just completely gone from most role-playing circles. You don't have that option when you're engaging in something like dance. You, you have to be sociable. You have to be presentable. You have to be, like you like to say, objectively friendly. And so if you're able to master it in one aspect, say, you know, just getting people to dance with you, you can then apply that to multiple different places in your life, even outside of your hobbies. So uh, like, honestly, it's a skill that's worth developing. Even, even if you don't, you know, continue to dance throughout the rest of your life, I, I, I can see how it would be valuable to at least try it or at least, you know, take the lessons and go to a few dances. Uh, no, it's it's a great thing to to have in your pocket because, um, uh, you know, when 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 I when I go up to talk to a pretty girl, whatever the scene, um, I I walk into that after ninety nine point nine nine percent of the of the women that I ask to dance say yes, mm. and and not only say yes, like they're pretty excited about it. So, so like if, if I go, if I go up to talk to a pretty girl anywhere, uh, that's the person who's going up and doing the talking, you know? Um, yeah. and when I get treated poorly, uh, which, you know, not everyone has the social graces and tact and charm of the average swing dancer, mm. but if I get treated poorly, I think it, you know, in my mind, uh, the culture of the dance is primary in how I understand the world and how I relate to the world. And when someone is out of step with that, I never respond feeling that it is a ref reflection on me. 
my reaction to it is this is a, re a, a reflection of someone who has really nothing positive to share with anyone. Not, not even, you know, the, I, I could go, I could be the worst dancer in the dance hall and yet still ev everyone there would give me a courtesy dance. Yeah. They would give me that much. Mm -hmm. Um, but, uh, outside of the dance hall, you know, not so much. Um, I think that's a, that's some, that's a problem that people need to figure out how to solve and technology is not going to do it. Social technology will real Christianity is probably the best prescription. I, I definitely agree with that. And I, and once, now that we've hit that, it is not an accident that the person with the 50 person campaign right now, which I think it's unheard of. I don't know of anyone that's, that's done anything like this, not to start off with that many, uh, mm -hmm. that's unheard of. Um, but no, it's not an accident that the person doing that is a Christian. That is completely not surprising. It's inevitable. Um, uh, uh, libertarians do not have the nature to set up something like that. People that are wedded to an extreme form of individualism. Nope, but they'll never do it. Never happen. Right. Um, People that subscribed to some variant or derivative of Aleister Crawley's do as thou wilt, they're never going to get there. They're incapable of doing it. Uh, what you're seeing in the RPG space starting in 2020 and culminating up into the curators game is a breachhead made by the forces of law of, uh, the forces of chaos screamed and whined and moaned and ankle bit for years on end, denying that the rules were even there, first of all, denying that the rules would even work, second of all, and now denying that they have the social resources to ever do something like this at all. Uh, the argument now is at the point where they're just not awesome enough to do it, which is very, it's, it's really sad. It's yeah. the saddest argument I've ever I, I just couldn't imagine it getting it here. But um, uh, I want to say this about the patrons. Uh, you know, people have been asking me stuff on back channel. I'm very flattered. Like when a, when a very attractive guy pulls me aside at the dance and says, hey, can you show me this, this dance move? And then five minutes later, he brings his girlfriend over to me and says, hey, can you teach my girlfriend how to do that so that we can, you know, so we can do it. I'm very flattered when that happens. And right. uh, when people in the curators campaign come to me on the back channels and are like, Jeffro, this is happening. Um, what, what's your answer? They know the answer when they ask me, they, you know, in, in their gut, they're like, you know, I kind of know how this should go. They, they just need me to tell them to go with what they are. They don't really, you know, hmm. uh, the, the, uh, the social situations, they're pretty easy to read in the campaign, but you need, yeah. You need somebody that's been burned to to like confirm your suspicions sometimes, and that's that's yeah. all I really do. That's the, that's the only support I'm giving. Uh, it's it's really all them. Mm -hmm. um, but um, but yeah, the um, I, I I finally did. It's late enough that I I did the <laughs> law law and chaos. Where was I going with that? Oh no, um, I, I had something I was winding up towards. Oh well, maybe it'll come back. 
but um but no it it it, it had to be christians um yeah this is what it was the um uh the patron players uh particularly you're you're not you're not playing to win in this kind of raw raw by any means necessary uh, I had a, I had one fight about this with Mephredis early on in the bros thing, uh, his concept of the elite power gamer or, you know, uh, what, whatever tag he had, it was, it triggered everybody. And, and there is something to it. You know, I do, I did have people come into my campaign and sort of like take over the whole evening, you know? Yeah. Um, and, um, which is great because, you know, that's, that's, let's, I, I'm not sitting there trying to impress the players with my ideas anymore. It's like, wow, I just, all I got to do is run the game. So mm -hmm. he was definitely spot on. He, he had, he had the, the right idea, but like a, a tactic of like, Oh, when, um, when, when we're playing the rules, we're going to remember all the rules that help us, but not remember the ones that don't. I'd say, mm -hmm. no, that's, that's against the, in, the intent of the game. Right. Uh, yeah. you know, that's going to, that's going to win scenarios for you. But that's not what we're doing here. Um, we, we need everybody to respect the rules, not just the referee. It's not, you know. Um, and then the, the, the patrons in the campaign, these are people who have been delegated high-level NPCs in order to work together during downtime, out-of-session play, in order to create a, a fog-of-war situation and a conflict whereby a broader world could be simulated so that uh, rather than having sort of a static backdrop like like uh, the Forgotten Realms manuals would describe for you in hard copy, you have this living thing that goes and moves and changes day to day and week to week. Right. Um, that's a very big thing. That's a very tall order. It's a very unusual thing. I'm amazed that anybody has uh, explained any, to anyone else that this could be done and that it has been done. And even that uh, Arnis and himself and Gygax did things like this. That's a pretty amazing thing. Yeah. But um, these people that are playing those roles, it's, it's not like a tournament game at PrezCon or the World Board Game Championships. You're not mm -hmm. like marshalling your forces to just to, to get that trophy. It's not that kind of desire to win. Uh, the the uh, the winning for patron is 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 not really quite like that. You you may be competing with everybody else to create intriguing things that people want to play with, and then stuff that you've cooked up on back channels. You'll be very gratified when three weeks later you find out that there were tape tables of players who got really thrilled with that. And the DM uh, for that session uh, really made something special out of that. That's a that's right. a pretty exciting thing. Uh, Rock John just did this for me in the past couple of months with my face to face table. It's an amazing thing. Um, so that's that's a that's a kind of a winning thing when you're playing these things. You the most important thing is to play your role, mm. uh, and that that's going to mean pretending not to know things that you that you know as a player sometimes yeah right. um, and it's going to cause you to do things that won't help you to win e everything in AD&D is graded on how well you play your role mm -hmm. um so you know winning even at the at the basic party level in AD&D 
no, it doesn't. If you were out of character in AD and D, if you weren't playing your alignment in your class properly, uh, you're going to spend four times as much time in training and spend four times as much gold. You're you know, effectively Gygax is saying, I, I don't want you to advance in influence and power in my friend group if you have this attitude. Mm -hmm. um, and so, so the the patron, uh, you know. Really, all of the innovations from the Broest R come down to, uh, and to and to and to circle back to conventional play. Conventional play is focused on appeasing and entertaining the players and allowing them to pretend that they got what they want through playing a game when they really didn't. That's what mm -hmm. conventional play is. It's pathetic. Yeah. Yes, it's the model of one genius DM who's made the story for his only four friends who will have him. Uh, it's also that, but the uh, the um, the Bros R from the beginning, from 2020 all the way up through now, every innovation that we uncovered, every lost secret that was buried in the rules, was leveraged by every person in the group having a stronger interest in the campaign as a whole than in any given character that they happen to have been running. Right. It's a very different, it's a very big shift. It's a very, you can't really explain it to people that are bred on conventional play. It won't mm -hmm. make any sense to them. If you put them into the social situation, if they have any tact or grace or charm if they have, uh, if they're regenerate, even uh, they should pick it up. Uh, you should be able to figure it out. Not if they don't laugh at my jokes, though. <laughs> Fair enough. But you, you've really kind of summed up why I have been so, I guess, captivated by this style of play, um, and and why again another reason why it seems like Christianity actually does seem to fit really well with role-playing, no matter what Jack Chick might've said. Um, it's communal. It's community-based. It's all about working together. It's, it's about being a body. Just like as Christians, we are the body of Christ. In a gaming group, you are the, the body of the game. You are the organisms working together to make this world function. And it's it's not all on one player. It's not all on the GM. It's on everyone working together and cooperating with each other. And it makes for a more harmonious experience. Right, right. Which um, I, I think it was Matt Colville that did some videos on this. Maybe, or maybe it was uh, the, the Beast. The Beast Questing beefs, yeah, him. Um, but one of those guys, and or, or Super Geek Mike, one of those three guys, one of those three guys, they they did a video, and they said they and they looked and oh, you can bring up the slide, uh, the, the the fifty and the forty slides from from OD and D and and from Traveler. Uh, mm -hmm. But let's just let's just look at the slide. Four to 50 players with multiple referees. Yeah, great. How many people have laughed at that? Oh, ho, ho, that's so funny. Ha, 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 ha. 
the things that these people said. No, this is the clue that you're not playing the same game. Yeah. Uh, and the, the Traveler one too. This was from 1977 edition. The first. It's not in the second edition, but 40 players should be treated as a maximum. Mm-hmm. Great. Great. So um. So yeah. So one of these YouTube guys who read my blog but couldn't say my name. I'm sure they're really nice people, but I don't know. This doesn't seem like a very positive character quality to me to take to take the person that is number three in D&D history. Number three after Dave Arneson and Gary Gygax. The person mm-hmm. who allowed you to understand what this game is so that you could enjoy it with your friends the same way that Gary and Dave enjoyed Blackmore and Greyhawk with their friends. Man, can you imagine talking about all this stuff and pretending that you were just sitting around one day and you saw this and and suddenly not and not just not just not just Jeffro Johnson, but like the work of of probably at least 30 individuals over the span of years, you know, uh, through trial and error, exploring these things, trying to figure it out. Uh, trying to understand, trying to put the pieces together with just the clues that we have, the text of the rules and a documentary about Blackmore and Dave Arneson. Imagine, imagine invoking all this stuff. Imagine like coming along and skimming the cream off of Jeffro Johnson's blog and then pretending like one day I just read this and I just had this idea. I had this idea. I had this idea that... D&D was meant to be like a sort of massively multiplayer game. A massively, it was like a massive, you know, what's wrong? I use lots of analogies. I use lots of analogies. And a lot of people don't like my analogies. My analogies, I don't know, it upsets them for some reason. But let's let's talk about this analogy. Oh, D&D is supposed to be like, it's like a massively multiplayer online RPG. What's wrong with this analogy? This is, this is a terrible, terrible analogy. It's completely wrong. It's completely wrong. Why is it wrong? Hmm. Because the people who are culturally denuded, the people who didn't grow up with a community, the people who didn't have the hometown like I saw with my eyes and uh, the, the, uh, uh, the roots, uh, the heritage. Uh, people who didn't have that had massively multiplayer online games instead. Um, D&D outlines a type of social technology that will allow you to construct a living fantasy world that changes day to day and week to week and month to month. And that is a reflection of your best player's personality. It will be unique, unique to you. It is nothing, nothing like those tacky soul numbing computer games, right? That people play alone at home, when they're despairing because there's nothing like a social dance nearby that that they can go to where they feel that they are part. Don't ever describe 
real D&D as being akin to or anything like a massively multiplayer. You got that wrong. You right. skimmed my blog. You read it over. You, you thought, wow, this sounds really interesting what these guys are doing. You pretended like it was your idea. And then you got it more wrong than anybody. So stay out of this field if you're not serious. You, you YouTuber, you know who you are. I don't even know which one it is, but you know who you are. Hmm. According to Adam Simpson, it was uh, Questing Beast. There. It's okay. I'm all right. So to, to kind of steer us back into... Uh, less aggravating territory, if you will permit me uh, to say maybe the single most redneck thing I have ever said on the show. Um, you have called yourself on here the third most important person in D&D &D culture. You are someone who has rubbed some people the wrong way. Um you're also someone who's gotten results and has done very well. So, Jeffro, would you say it's fair to call you the Dale Earnhardt of role-playing games? I, I don't even know. Um, <laughs> uh, I, I thought I was a wrestling heel. Um, I'm not even sure which one. You, you'll have, I mean, I don't even know how to pronounce the word kayfabe. So. <laughs> That's true. I mean, if we're going to place you as far as a, a wrestling heel, I would probably say Nick Bockwinkle or Ric Flair, but definitely more towards the Nick Bockwinkle side because he always had to, to very easily explain uh, or very quickly explain Nick Bockwinkle. He, he was one of the first guys to dress up in a suit as the champion and present himself as intellectually superior to his opponents that was that was kind of his gimmick very early on and so i, I definitely see kind of a nick bockwinkle energy coming I, I, coming off i of feel there. i feel like cool hand luke personally fair enough I, I, i'm the guy that's like that just looks at art the you know the rpg history and says i could eat fitty eggs mm -hmm. absolutely the only person dumb enough to play ad and d by the rules And as a couple of people are explaining here in chat, Dale Earnhardt was actually kind of a heel, but he was also a great NASCAR driver. And then Matt Barninger also says Roddy, Rod, Rowdy Roddy Piper for you. So you're in uh, you're in good company there. Now, we are kind of up against our time here, um, and I do have one more question that I absolutely have to ask you we we've we eschewed my normal introductory questions just to get right into it tonight but i do have to ask you this one question jeffro and the answer can be as philosophical or as sophomoric as you want it to be but if you could put anything on a t-shirt what would it be oh no no uh i'm opposed to t-shirts opposed to t-shirts okay uh slovenly is out we we uh 
it's just it's gotten worse. I, if I see you guys out there, I want you to look like Buckaroo Bonsai's group. Uh, I want you to I want you to look classier. I, I danced a few weeks ago. It was like you know the first time coming out of my shell. And uh, uh, I, I didn't know that dancing was back. I would check it online every now and then, but it would, it would always be something like, you know, like mask required. I'm like, I'm not going to go to a dance and wear a mask. I'm sorry. Yeah. Um, but uh, man, there was this girl, uh, she was all dressed up. And, uh, and I thought, I thought like, wow, it's more fun dancing with someone that's all dressed up. It just is. Yeah. It just is. And, uh, you know, the, 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 the jeans and the t-shirts, they just got to go. They got to go. You know, I, I don't know. I don't know what I need. I don't know what kind of style I'm looking for, but, uh, slob, slob, slovenly is not it. Sly, you know, just the other day I was like, like I was, I was in, in church and they, they sang a hymn, you know, you don't, people don't do hymns anymore, but like they, they did a hymn and, and, uh, uh, I, I, I knew the baseline and I just bust out that baseline. I was just so happy. Harmony is a really a intrinsically great idea. Um, I couldn't help myself. I was just so happy. And the guy in front of me, like he turns around and looks at me like I've been saying or something, right? But like, <laughs> no, that guy that looked at me like I was crazy. He was dressed in shorts in church, shorts and sandals in church. I'm, uh, there's a connection here between between social uh, social incompetence and lack of lack of social graces and poor presentation, so the age of the T-shirt, I'm declaring it officially over. Okay. I'm All sorry. Right. I'm uh, sorry for your show. I'm, far, I'm sorry for your running gag. I, but I'm, I had to. I had to do this. It's you know what? It's it's all good. And uh, as a suggestion, if we if we're abandoning the T-shirt. Uh, might we consider bringing back the cowboy block color shirt? <laughs> that's not bad, really. That's not that's a step up from a t-shirt. I'll give it that. Yep. I've been I've been watching a lot of Walker Texas Ranger recently, and I think the uh, the '90s Garth Brooks cowboy shirt needs to make a comeback. So maybe that can be our alternative. We can we can all start wearing cowboy shirts now. All right. Well, Jeffro, that has uh, you know, unfortunately, we are right up against our time. So um, thank you so much for coming on here. I feel like we had a great conversation, and I would love to do this again sometime and and talk about some of the stuff we didn't get to talk about tonight. Awesome. I I had a blast. Thanks for having me. Gotcha. All right, well, guys, that's going to do it for Rolling Bones this evening. Uh, next week, uh, he has been in chat tonight. Uh, he gave us a big howdy. This is someone who probably will also support my movement to bring back the uh, color block Western shirt, and that is Mr. Gelatinous Rube. He will be on the show next week talking all about the grand campaign. So if you enjoyed this conversation, uh, we'll be having similar discussions next week with Gelatinous Rube. Uh, so until then, guys, whether you rolled a one or a 20, I'm so glad that you rolled your bones with me, Ryan Howard, and I will see you guys next time.